Right now, I want to talk to everybody about just, you know, where God's really putting my heart to take us. We've been talking about this idea of breaking barriers, and we've been using the book of Acts as a template for exploration. The book of Acts, the fifth book of the New Testament, picking right up off of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. And the book of Acts is really about not only the Acts of the Apostles, but it's about the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's about the birth of a church. And we are looking at it through the lens of breaking barriers. And you will see a pattern of barrier breaking. We're going to see it today begin. For the next few weeks, we're going to be sitting with a man named Saul, who ultimately becomes Paul. And we're going to watch how God breaks this man down so he can break him out. And how Paul has to, Saul has to surrender to grace. And it's an invitation the Lord makes to all of us, right? We all have barriers that the Lord is wanting to help us break through. Of that I am convinced. As I was sitting with this, I thought about the different things that might be holding us back. I thought about the things that are limiting our potential, things that are undermining our capacity to bring a contribution. Talking about things like, like the issues that are disturbing our peace. It's very difficult to move forward when you feel disturbed within. If we have a storm inside of us, it's very hard to be enthused with life. And yet I am convinced that the joy of the Lord is to be our strength. I'm actually convinced that God can use the broken places of our lives to bring forth the most beautiful things. I can say firsthand that it's been in the places where I've had to wrestle with surrendering things to the Lord that God has done his most profound work. I often tell people, don't be afraid of the difficult places, although I know we will be. Because oftentimes, that place of the most great significant adversity in our life becomes the opportunity of the most significant growth. It's where God does some of his best work. So if we've come into the Lord's house struggling over any issue, relational, inside, maybe our own peace of mind, maybe we feel under tremendous pressure, or we feel very stressed, Maybe inside of us, there's a battle waging, and we are really tied up in knots. I am here to say, again, the joy of the Lord is to be our strength. And God can take these seasons, and he can use them catalytically to bring forth expansion and growth and an increase of his purpose in our lives. He can literally transform us. He can have more of his character show up through us. Oftentimes, it's in the broken places where we're having to fight in a sense, sometimes with our own selves, that out of that crushing place is where the best things come. And I'm not just saying that just to say it. I mean, I truly believe it. It was out of the cross that life came. It was out of the brokenness of Jesus that life came for all of us, resurrection life. And it's out of, out of sometimes our most struggling places where God can begin to transform us in ways that would not have been possible 
when everything was going well for us. Because we're far more open when things are hard. We're far more open. And here's the thing, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And oftentimes if we, if, when life is humbling us, that's the time of opportunity, especially in the spirit. I was talking to somebody and I said, you know what? This is the season. It doesn't, they were going in for an interview. And it was a little, I could tell they were anxious about it. I said, it doesn't matter. They were re-engaging things that they hadn't been engaging. And I said, it doesn't matter. You're already succeeded. You're being courageous. If the Lord opens the door, so be it. But you walk in peace and you walk in joy. And you keep a smile on your face. You have given your life to Jesus. Be unafraid. God has not given us, listen, a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of soundness of mind. That is our inheritance. What, do we, what is he asking? What is he wanting? What is he inviting us to break through into? Are there barriers that are holding us back? Things that are inhibiting our joy? Is there something that comes to our mind as I'm even talking now? Something that might be getting us stuck? I was away on a little retreat. And part of what I was praying for as I was doing my little journaling, I was thinking about this message. And I said, Lord, don't let me get, get stuck. Keep me, and I use this word, keep me unstuck. Keep me unstuck. Don't let me, don't let me get clogged up. Keep your joy and your gratitude flowing through my life. Because remember, if we're all locked up, we're not creative. And a lot of problem solving occurs because we're creative. So we can't get stuck in the negative. Instead, we need to obey the scriptures and think on the good things, as the Lord says. Okay, let's get into our message now. Let's talk about surrender. <laughs> let's surrender to grace, okay? Because I do have something else I want to share. But maybe that was what we were supposed to share. Some of us may recall for the past few weeks, and you can get any of the messages that we've shared about this earlier. They're all online, accessible. But some of us may recall a few weeks back that we shared about the account of a man named Stephen. Now, some of us are very familiar with Stephen. If you have been exposed to the scriptures, especially the New Testament, you would know who Stephen is. Not everybody necessarily has been, nor does. But we talked about how he was violently killed because of his testimony of Jesus. He actually becomes the first person ever in history to die because of what he was saying about Jesus. He was the first martyr of the church, the first in a long line. And even as I was thinking about this in my mind, I thought, Lord, the pressure we experience in our culture, because to follow Jesus right now means to be committed to living counterculturally. It actually means to slightly be willing to go against the grain of culture and swim not just in groupthink, the invitation to follow Jesus right now is an invitation to live, in a sense, in rebellion to dominant think and to follow the voice of the master who is calling us to follow him. But I'm thinking about the fact that there are a lot of people right now in other parts of the world who for them to follow Jesus is not simply an issue of will I get up early or will I choose to miss the football game? <laughs> the issue for them is am I willing to risk suffering and the loss of all things? Am I willing to be stigmatized, persecuted, and in some cases killed? I am telling you what we take for granted in other places of the world, even now, comes at great, great cost. The privilege of being able to come to the Lord's house and to worship together in his name, let us not take for granted. And even now, Lord, I bless 
my brothers and sisters all over the world who risk everything to come together and to honor you and in your name they gather to worship. I bless them and I pray for them even now, Lord Jesus. Stephen was the first one to risk. His account takes up the majority of the sixth chapter of the book of Acts. The account of Stephen takes up the entirety of Acts, the seventh chapter. In total, it's 68 verses that's devoted to this man. That is a huge amount, astonishingly. And in, that, in those verses and in, in that account, if you go back and read it in Acts 6 and 7, what you find is that he is giving this message. He shares a message. And that message essentially is a, is a, is a way of, of reminding the, the Jerusalem leadership of a pattern that they've had. He, he literally traces the history of Israel, of God's people. And he says, what you have is what he has. And they were all getting mad at him. Remember what was happening. The more he talked, the madder they got. He said, you have a pattern. He's talking to powers. He's talking to people who are in charge of the temple. And he was saying, you have a pattern. We as a nation have a pattern of rejecting God's messengers and prophets. And he says, and it culminated when you rejected the righteous one that God sent. You put him to death. And that was that statement, he was talking about Jesus, got them so mad that they riled themselves up into an angry mob and they stoned him to death after they dragged him out. Now, I, I didn't have enough room in the handout to put all the passage in there. So I'm going to scroll a piece of it. Let's look at what it says. This is again, Acts 7. It says, now when they heard these things, they were enraged. They, I love the way the Bible describes it. They ground their teeth. That's what they're saying, right? At him. But he, full of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus, the Scripture says, in his mind. He saw standing at the right hand of God with his eyes. And, and as he's getting pelted, he says, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and they stopped their ears, and they rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city, and they dragged him out, and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out. Again, I tried to imagine in my mind's eye. He cried out, Lord, do not lay this sin against them. Right? Do not hold it against them. Do not put it on their account. It was a powerful moment. And it reminded me of another one, of, of somebody else. Do not lay, as he was being killed, literally, do not lay this upon them. Do not lay this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And that's the Bible's way of saying he died. Now, notice for the first time the law of first mention in Scripture. Because if you look closely, you see, you notice when we read it, it's the first time a certain man is mentioned. Saul, who will become Paul, is mentioned for the first time. He is described as what? As someone who's watching the coats of the men who stoned Stephen to death. Now, Saul never threw a rock, but he consented and was evidently pleased with the outcome. He was, it seems, stirred by it. It is a just penalty for the blasphemer. It's true, Rome had not given them the authority to act this way. And it was in that sense, 
The stoning of Stephen was a, a, a lawless deed, a frenzied act of an angry mob. He had not participated, seems he was smarter than that, but he had done all that he could to support it. He had watched it all unfold, and part of him was impressed, maybe even troubled, by the bizarre and inexplicable kindness and assurance of the words of the bloodied and pathetic dying man who claimed at the bitter end as he gazed upward into the heavens that he could see the fraud Jesus of Nazareth. The, viol but, but the violent experience seemed to push him even deeper into the abyss of hatred for the followers of the dead Nazarene because we know what follows. The fo oh, followers of the so-called way. The early church, oh, early followers of Jesus were called followers of the way. They weren't called Christians yet. They were called followers of the way, probably connecting back to when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to Father God but by me. But later on, they'll be called Christians. Uh, that term initially was, was given to them derisively. Over time, it was adopted and became a badge of of courage in a way for them. That's an interesting point of history. But what we know is that something happened to Saul. Uh, he got even more angry with this Jesus and his followers. He felt that it was an insult to his way, to the way of, his fa of the fathers of the, of the people. He felt it was an insult uh, to the powers that had trained him. He felt it was a gross betrayal of everything that Israel stood for. And what becomes clear is that the more it went on, the more angry he got, the more he hated, despised, uh, saw, saw the followers of this way as people who needed to be cut off from the rest of the people, from the rest of Israel. And, and again, I, it's a fascinating thing to see, but he, his, his hatred grows. And soon Saul, in the full strength of his manhood, agreed to become the bulwark for the eradication of the movement. And, and, and before I even look at that, I, wanna, I want us to consider a great principle. And here's the principle, and we'll put it up there for those of us who, who, are, who are trying to engage this and are taking notes, but here's the deal. Whatever we make room for in our hearts is what grows. Whatever we make room for in our hearts is what grows. That is why the Bible reminds us in Proverbs 4, 23, to keep our heart with all diligence, for out of it flows or springs the issues of life. What, what the Bible reminds us to both guard and nurture who we are on the inside. Keep your heart with all diligence, the seat of your affections, the things that, like the core of who you are. Pay attention to that. This is an invitation to pay attention to what's going on on the inside of us. This idea, and then tend to it. I was looking at the context of Proverbs 4.23. And I'm going to flip, we're going to flip up a little larger piece of the verse that follow it. Check it out. See how relevant this is for where we are today. Look what it says. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Avoid all perverse talk. Talk about countercultural. Stay away from corrupt speech. 
Don't do that. Look straight ahead. Fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path. Path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. It's a very powerful truth. Remember, nurturing has to do with, with both but we, what we take in and what we cultivate in a positive way and also what we're guarding ourselves and keeping ourselves from. One of the things I learned early as a follower of Jesus, when I was reading one author, I think his name was Gordon MacDonald, he said, he talked about how our heart is like a garden. And he said, just like a garden, and I've seen this true in my backyard. You know, I clean the backyard, and all the weeds are gone. But it's fat, it's amazing. You know, one month later, they can all come back. Because you know why? A garden unattended does not tend itself. It grows weeds. It, that's just a fact. It doesn't tend itself. It has, to be, it has to be attended to. Like if we leave it alone, if we don't address things, what comes out of us isn't going to be good. It needs to be paid attention to, cultivated, uh, uh, nurtured. We, we, the more, you know what else I was thinking about? Is the more we, un, what that verse was reminding us, and this is why I'm making the connection with Paul and Saul, is that, the, is that the more we nurture the unworthy in our lives and fill our soul with corruption, and to use the language of scripture, perversity, the more it starts to consume us and wreaks havoc in our soul. That was exactly what was happening to Saul. Listen, the more Saul nurtured hatred and self-righteousness, the more it grew. Because remember, whatever we nurture is what grows. Whatever we nurture is what grows. That's why, and I, how can I say that? I say this as someone in culture, not outside of it. I'm, this is my world too. I think if we're serious about following the Lord, we need to be giving attention to two things. And I know I run the risk of sounding like puritanical maybe. Not my intention. I think we need to be careful about our entertainment, more careful about our entertainment choices. And I think we need to be more careful about our language. And the two go together. I, I don't know if we've ever, I mean, the, what comes out of our mouth and what's going into our mind. Remember, what we put in is what comes out. A lot of people pay attention to what their nutrition is. Everybody's on, you know, that's good for a body that will ultimately fade away. But what about our soul? What about our mind? What about our intake? Your word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against you. You know, what is going into us? Every now and then, you're going to hear the Lord say, you know what, maybe that's something you should refrain from. Because we want certain things to come out of us, but then we're funneling stuff in. It's like we wonder, why does this come out of me when the heat is on? What is the dominant input into our life? I'm not saying that to push anybody into any place except to say that if we want, we've got to, if we want us to, to grow in our capacity to follow God in a way that is life-giving, we have to pay attention to our heart. Let me, I'll say it one more time. There, that's why we have to be watchful. Um, Saul had an unhealthy root growing in him. His root, he started out with anger and self-righteousness. And then it started growing into hatred. 
and into violence. And then it started spreading itself out and taking him over. And I thought about the things that, the little seeds that grow, the roots, a root of unforgiveness, a root of envy, a root of jealousy, a root of resentment, apathy, extended, extended dark depression, self-hate-hating almost, um, judgmentalism, negativity, cynicism, and bitterness. Those root, when we see those things growing in us, when you pay attention to that, oh, the root of bitterness by which many are corrupted, the scripture says. Someone once said, hard times is a matter, is never, hard times is never a matter of personal choice, but bitterness is. Check this verse out. Proverbs 14.1. A wise woman builds her home, improves and secures it. Could be a home, could be a business, could be a life. But a foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. With foolish ways and a lack of wisdom. By her own doing, destroys it. This applies to both men and women. I love the fact that it uses, actually, in this case, it's a reminder of the power to create an environment and the effect that we can have on other people. A wise woman builds her house, but a foolish woman tears it down with her own hands. How can we build and not destroy our most beautiful entrustments? Come on. Are there certain things we need to stop doing and, are there, uh, and stop saying? Like, stop it. You're killing this thing. You're, and, and again, all of us, this can hit us. If we, like, are there certain things that we're saying that the Lord is saying to us, don't stop that. Don't talk like that. Don't do that. That's not who I called you to be. Keep, come on. And then I asked the other question. Are there certain things that we need to start doing and start saying? Like a lot of us, you know, God's going to say to us, you know what, where, where's the affirmation going on here? Where's the, where's the talk that honors me? Where's the, where's the focus on the good thing, not the, the flaw? And I know this because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a person, I look at something, I, I, I can see a flaw. And it's taken me a long time for the Lord to say, if you focus on the flaw of anything, you can inhibit and undermine its capacity to bless you. That's a fact. We have to really be careful about that. And a lot of us, I think what the Lord might be saying to us is don't, again, Saul was nurturing his anger. Some of us, we start to nurture our offense. We start to nurture our bitterness. We start to nurture, and instead God's saying, what are you, you're nurturing the wrong thing. Reaffirm yourself in the way of the Lord. Reaffirm, honest, speak good words, life-giving words. Okay. Saul was in a destructive mood. He was in a destructive mood. Now check the handout out. Acts 8. We're going to move through this. Look at this. It says, Saul approved of his execution. Stephen. And then it says, There arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen. They had great sorrow and lamentation because of his death. But look at verse 3. There he is. Mentioned now, again, but Saul 
was ravaging the church and entering house after house. And he dragged off men and he dragged off women and he committed them to prison. The, the New King James Version says he made havoc. The older version says he laid waste to the church. Even Paul himself, many years later, standing in front of a king named Agrippa, way up there in Acts 26, he will, he will share with a curious and bemused King Agrippa in, in almost poetic fashion. Look at what it says here, Acts 26. Paul's looking back on his life at this time, and he says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Look at this. This is his own confession. And I did so in Jerusalem. And I don't say this in any other way, but for you to know who the kind of man I was. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues. And I, I tried to make them blasphemy. And in raging fury against them, I, I tracked them down and persecuted them even to foreign cities. Agrippa, you got to know the kind of man I was. Raging fury. The last piece there in your handout, Acts 9. We're told Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, there it is, men or women, he might bring them captive bound to Jerusalem. <laughs> Now as he went on his way, last verse, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And stunningly, Saul will say on more than one occasion that he saw with his blinded eyes the same resurrected Jesus that Stephen, the deluded martyr, had said he saw with his dying breath. And it would rock his world and it would turn it upside down, quite literally, on its head. And we're going to examine the rise of Paul next week, how he comes out of this a, a different man. But for now, when the light of Jesus shines, it's something to remember. When it shines into our heart, it will always reorder the way we view the world, and it will affect how we view our world. It always will. And we will be different. We will always be different. Wherever Jesus comes, listen, it's like a dark room and the light shines and it changes everything. So it is in our own heart. Now, I was sitting with this and I was praying for you and me and this time. And I was thinking about Paul, Saul, because he would become a man transformed, the most severe hater of the church, a true, true self-righteous religious man who was willing to be violent. He, he, he literally is blinded on the road to Damascus. It says that he was on his way, he approached Damascus, right? I, I want to put the map up there just to show us where that was. We're going to come back to this in the coming weeks. This is real. These places are there to visit. You can go. We've gone. We just got, went there 
uh, you know, last year. Jerusalem, the center of the world in many ways. Israel, Syria, in the news all the time. It's in chaos right now. Damascus. Saul was on his way to Damascus, on the road to Damascus. And he was going there to hunt down the followers of Jesus. What he didn't know was he was about to be hunted down. The hunter would become the hunted. And the love of God would make a claim over his life that would literally change our world. I was thinking about it because he, he's, he's blind. By the time he's done, he's blind. And I was engaging and I was thinking about how the Lord, I go back to the beginning of what we shared, how I said that times when the Lord is, when things break down, there's an opportunity for God to break through in new ways. Like God does some of his best work in our lives when we're most desperate. We're stripped of things. All of a sudden, we're more open. That's when God can do his work. So I wrote a poem. And I, I wanted to share it with you. It's about this moment. It's from the perspective of Saul, from the moment of his blinding to the moment of his awakening. It's in your, it's in your handout right there. It's both, but it's for us, too. And it has to do with how he breaks us down. Stick with me on this. Let's share this moment together. I'll throw my heart out there for you. How about that? He has a way of turning our world upside down. He has a way of breaking us down. So my life shattered in a thousand pieces, shards of a past that can no longer be held, a broken purpose, a broken plan, a broken vision, a broken man who can no longer stand on his own. How can I betray what I have been, how can I go back to what can never be? For he is alive, alive. The madness and the sadness, the shock and the fear, I sit alone in the darkness with my tears that the years will never wash away. Blind I have been, blind I am. What lies ahead I cannot see, I cannot see. He has a way of turning our world upside down. He has a way of breaking us down. His words are spirit. His words are life. His words guide us in the night. The darkness is passing. The light now shining, bound in love to the one I once hated, forever ruined and yet remade. Grace, oh grace, my song to sing. What offering or sacrifice to undo the wrong and return the good you have done. Oh blessed one that I now am. No longer bound my guilt set free. A prisoner on the run. Grace, God's grace at work in me. Ah, he has a way of turning our world upside down. He has a way of breaking us down. He still does. Listen. Oh, <laughs> that was not meant to do Okay. Hey, hey. I'm just saying, I'm saying this, I'm saying this. You've heard me say this before. I love you guys. <laughs> Let's follow Jesus together. I'm talking about, here's the phrase, the breakdown that leads to the breakthrough that leads to the breakout. The breakdown, blind I am that leads to the breakthrough, the light now shines, that leads to the breakout, a prisoner on the run, surrendering to grace over my life.
That's what we're talking about. So, Lord, I ask that you would just guide us. Don't hide from us. Guide us. Great shepherd, all the voices calling to us, all the angry words. <sighs> political cause here, political cause there. Offended here, offended there. Noise, noise, noise. Settle my heart, settle our heart, Lord. Surrender, surrender to you. Lord, let me never forget that, we, that I am a prisoner on the run, set free by grace. I'll never forget it. Prisoner of your love, all the days of my life. I will follow you all the days of my life. Yes, Lord. So be with us as we close this time, our time of giving, yes. But the song that we end with, brokenness aside, reminding that in the broken place is the space that's created for your grace. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.